today, I want to talk to you about prayer and encourage you to begin to consider what it means to pray. Uh, I come to you not as an expert, uh, but as someone who desires to be one. Um, just a side note, uh, I, I kind of have a desire to get my doctorate, but it's an overwhelming amount of work, so I don't have one. <laughs> um, but the thing is, for a doctorate, they say you become the leading expert on your very narrow, slim topic. One of my professors in Korea, he was uh, had his doctorate in a particular verb tense in Hebrew in Job. Um, it's, it's very narrow, and he understands that entirely. And I thought, wow, that's oddly specific. How often does that come up? Only in Job, and only that one verb tense. Uh, and, and he knows stuff. He wrote a, a Hebrew textbook. Um, and I'm thinking about, like, if I become the expert on something, doesn't that kind of pin you down that that's what you talk about the rest of your life? And I kind of want to be choosy what I become an expert in. Um, but if we had to become an expert in something, I think prayer would be a wonderful option for us. That that is what we are all about. So I'm sharing today uh, not concepts, not ideas, but uh, practices and uh, a pilgrimage for us to go on. That together we may discover um, this journey. I don't know if they do corporate doctorates, but I think it'd be cool if we became the doctor of prayer. It's my hope today that you'd be equipped, that in this time, this morning, that there would be an aspect of prayer that comes into focus for you, uh, a prompt of a new mindset, to start a conversation with God on how to engage with him, to spark conversation among us, uh, that cause us, when we share, um, that we would grow, and uh, in saying and in hearing. So prayer, I've got a very simple working definition for us this morning. Uh, prayer is, for the purposes of this Sunday, relating to God. It, really simple. It comes from a, an old Englishy idea um, that's rooted in a request. Uh, like, thinking like Jane Eyre stuff, uh, pray, do, sit down. Um, but prayer, in the Christian sense, I think is relating to God. Not just asking for things, but we relate to God. Uh, and I'm struck with, uh, I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It says, pray without ceasing. Um, hmm. It's part of a larger set of phrases, of uh, closing thoughts at the end of Thessalonians. And I think I wrote sec one, and it's actually 2 Thessalonians, if someone could look and correct me. Um, but verse 16, it said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And don't quench the Spirit. So uh, if I go on, we'll get distracted and we won't, we won't get where we're going today. Uh, it's a very full passage, lots of low-hanging fruit, so please uh, engage with that this week. Um, but pray without ceasing. Another translation says continually. Um, so if we use our definition for what prayer means, it means don't break relationship. It's not an endless stream of words or thoughts, uh, but an admonishment to remember that God is in the room, that we don't ignore him. I think it's interesting, we're often very conscious of people who are there in the flesh, um, than maybe how conscious or remembering we are that God is here in our hearts. Like, imagine with me, you're at your house and you, you forget that you have a guest sitting in your living room with you. 
it, it wouldn't happen, right? Like, we're, we're very aware of who's there. Um, we are, we're very aware of that and uh, feel this uh, desire, maybe a need to host, to entertain. Um, but let's become more conscious of God. I, I heard a scary idea, a scary quote this week, um, that we as Christians can become functional atheists, that we know God exists and we believe that, um, but we act as if everything depends on us, that we don't speak to him, we don't share how we're doing, we don't ask him what's going to happen, and we don't ask for help, that we are functionally atheist, even though we believe all of the hope is true. Do we, do we live like he's here with us? Pray without ceasing. Our, our working definition is relating to God, to not break relationship. But, but how? Uh, I think part of the struggle is that there is this tension that we, uh, we can hold. And the problem with tensions is that when you're good at one side, the other one seems to stay weak because it, it's hard to hold up a tension. Um, and it's a strength that I think we as Roblin have really well. First uh, Timothy 6.6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, verse 4 and 5 talks more about what godliness is, and uh, verse 7 talks about contentment being having enough clothes and food, which I think we do. Um, and Paul is encouraging Timothy that, and his people that to just be content and to be godly is, is enough. It's, it's great. Uh, but there's more to this. Maybe it's uh, a narrow understanding, uh, a cold practice of godliness, um, that we maybe define the godliness that Paul's talking about here as uh, a kind of don't do bad things, that being Christ-like is true enough, um, that God never sins, Jesus never sinned, the Holy Spirit, he doesn't sin, he doesn't tempt us. Um, but God is more than just a person who is faultless. Um, God is love. So to be godly is to be loving. Um, one of the, the phrases they taught us for theology about how or why God created the world and why he made us, he didn't need us, but the Trinity, the, the three of them are inherently relational, and they say uh, out of a superabundance of love, they created us. That they just had so much love that they wanted someone to give love to I don't know if that's how you feel. I often feel like I need to guard who I relate with because maybe I'll find that person who talks more than I want to. Do you know, do you know these people? Are you that person? Um, but God said, I, I, I want more people to love. And that's what godly is, is to be this overwhelming love, a desire to relate, to be together. Um, they created us out of a desire for relationship. And we are to pray, to relate to God endlessly. And I don't think it has to be exhausting. I don't think it has to be mind-consuming. Uh, the same way, like when you're with a friend, you're not considering, well, what should I say to them next? Um, part of relating to anyone isn't, or is longing for more. It's not just being content with well, I know my friend pretty good, so I'll never ask them about themselves. It's a, a desire for more. Uh, and it's not prying, it's a, a seeking. 
A.W. Tozer said, to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Scorned indeed by the too easily pleased, too easily satisfied, sorry, religionist, but justified in the happy experience by the children of the burning heart. This paradox of love, the, the religious person scorns it um, to have been found and to continue to pursue. Interesting, he calls us the children of the burning heart. How, how is your heart's temperature this morning? Is there, is there a, an ember in the fire? Are you warmed up, fired up, excited that God's going to speak to us? Or are we distracted with many good things like Martha? I think Martha gets a bad rap. Like, I would have liked to have been at Martha's house. She would have fed me. Um, it, it's not a bad thing. But Mary came to a point and said, I'm just going to sit and listen to Jesus. And people can be hungry, I guess. Jesus does cool things with food. So, um, I feel that God has more for us. Are we aware of it? He, he has things that he wants to engage with us in. Are we sensitized to that? Or is that like background info? Um, true but unhelpful, like the brand of disposable cup that we carry at the coffee bar. It's, it's available information. Is it helpful to our life? No. I don't know what brand it is. Do you? Who, who cares? Uh, irrelevant information. Is that the category that we put God in his thoughts for us today? An abundance of information that is not relevant to where I am. It's not helpful. So I have a couple uh, perspectives that I, I thought could describe how we are in our present relationship with God and just see where you fit. Uh, maybe I've made up a new word, maybe. I think it should be a word, whelmed. You know, overwhelmed? Oh, well, what if you're just whelmed? You're not underwhelmed, you're not overwhelmed. It's just full. Um, there's no margin, uh, but I'm still making it as long as nothing goes wrong. And uh, I think sometimes we can say that this is when life is optimized. I'm carrying as much as I can and I can't take on a thing more. Not overwhelmed, but there's no margin. Um, is it optimized or is it fragile that this system can deal with no bumps in the road? Maybe we're tired or distracted uh, that we're waiting. I think it's interesting, Jesus said, it's hard for the rich to enter into heaven. Um, that we're waiting for Christ to return, we're waiting for him to do something in our life specifically, individually. Um, but in our waiting, have we grown too comfortable? Um, that we, we no longer long for heaven? Uh, in one of Tolkien's books, The Silmarillion, the elves are invited to heaven. And along the way, they get so distracted with how beautiful the land is, they decide not to go. And I wonder if that's us, that we're surrounded by such beauty that we can give up the journey, uh, not, not intentionally, that we just get distracted with good, beautiful things that God made for us, and we don't, we don't finish the long walk. It's hard for the rich to enter heaven, maybe because we're comfortable uh, with a very pleasant set of distractions that we afford ourselves, preoccupations, important occupations. Um, but we can forget what's most important, to not 
stop relating to God. Uh, Matthew 21, 13, Jesus said that his temple shall be called a house of prayer. Uh, he's quoting Isaiah 56, uh, 4, 6, 7, 8. And it talks about this foreigner who does what's right and honors the Sabbath and worships. And God will fill them with joy in his house of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. Uh, and that's cool because that includes us. We are, we are the foreigner. We're not Jewish, most of us, I think. Um, but we're included in that, that we can be filled with joy in his presence. And 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you realize that you all together are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit of God lives in you? That we are the temple, so we are to be a house of prayer. That that's, that's interesting. Uh, just a, a quick show of hands. Has anyone ever been to a, a modern house of prayer? Uh, there's a few around. There's one in Belleville, I believe. Uh, and there's one in my wife's hometown. There's one in Kansas City that I got to go to. And the one in Kansas is very interesting. I think it's been over 20 years. Someone in their sanctuary has been there praying without stop since they started this. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, it was pretty cool. I got to go to their New Year's conference. There was 22,000 people in the room worshiping together. It, it was very different. Can you imagine if all of Greater Napanee gathered in one place and we were focused? Like, <laughs> that would be quite the, quite the feat. It's to be a house of prayer. I was thinking about a house, uh, the extreme circumstances, maybe the cyclical ones too, like, like frost, um, can heave a house if the foundation isn't deep enough. Even if our life is built on Christ, are we so deep in him that when, when the cold, lean times come that we don't notice? I don't know if that's how we would describe our faith, unaffected. Uh, by circumstances, that these extreme circumstances, they, they could heave us apart. Uh, they can also bring cracks in between the bricks, that we are those stones. Uh, do you feel any cracks between any of us? It, it's hard to stay unified. Uh, I find it very interesting. Uh, scripture says, keep the unity of the Spirit, not with the bond of truth, with the bond of peace, that peace holds us together. But I love being right. I don't know. Is, is that just me? We are a house of prayer. Hmm. Maybe you're like Elijah. You're not whelmed. Uh, you're not distracted. Maybe you're like Elijah who says, God, I've seen enough. I've seen you do some great things, some miracles, and I'm just, I'm just tired. It's enough. Take me to heaven now. I'm ready to go. I'm worn out. I feel like Elijah's prayer in the desert at Mount Sinai is, is that I thought prayer would have worked by now. You know, that God would have moved. I wonder what it would have been like to have been Elijah who prayed for fire to come out of heaven after he prayed that it wouldn't rain and then fire fell and they killed all the bad prophets. And still the queen is opposed to him. And I, I feel like Elijah is saying, I, I thought it would have worked. 
I thought it, it would have been done. Um, I'm out of hope and I'm tired. But it's interesting, there's another option. Uh, Jesus doesn't promise us that we can make heaven on earth, which is, I think, what we all want. That's why we buy comfy couches. Um, we, want, we want a little slice of comfort, of heaven, of peace right now. Uh, I'm sure you've heard or been the exasperated parent who says, I just want some peace and quiet. And I want it, you know, I just cleaned this. I wish it would have lasted a little longer. Yeah. We, we just want some rest. Elijah said, I'm tired, so I give up. And that, that jump from I am tired of a reality and his conclusion is so quick. It's such a small step that it's hard to see how they're two different things. Um, but it's okay to be tired and to be overwhelmed. But there's another option that we could get rest with him. Jesus promised us if we come to him, he will give us rest. And he's not far off. He's here right now. There was a classic youth group moment this past Thursday. Uh, we had over eight activities planned for our, every month we do like a kind of party night that it's easier for them to bring their friends. It's a ton of fun. Uh, we had an obstacle course that was the illustration of my sermon. Um, and at the end of the night, we also have a monthly birthday party that we have cake and presents for anyone who had a birthday. Um, and the, the second to last activity we got through uh, involved them bobbing for apples. And I think there was like three inches of water. So naturally, the youth were soaked from head down to like their shoulders. I don't know how they got that much water on themselves, but they were soaked. And we're trying to get them all rallied together so I can explain what we're going to do next. We've got one more fun new game that they haven't played yet, but they're all excited for. And then we're going to have cake and presents and prizes. But they missed it. Uh, a couple of them were ready early and said, can I go get dried off with something? Sure. And while we're waiting for them to come back, more go to get dried off and more go to fix their makeup that they were very concerned with. And then some of those who'd already left came back and said, well, I, I now have to go. And we stood there for 15 minutes waiting for us to be ready to play a game and eat cake and have prizes and presents. And it was going to be a great time. And we were uh, so poor at waiting, at being together, being patient for one another, that we could do something, that they missed it. There was lots of reasons. Busyness, hurriness, things out of their control. They had to go now. Mom and Dad said so. They were anxious. There were misunderstandings. So maybe you're waiting well right now. Uh, but I, I saw it so clearly that there were youth who were waiting well, and they were waiting and waiting for their peers, and they gave up waiting, and they missed it. Uh, one of the prizes was 200 pieces of candy for one team. And by the end of the night, there was only two team members left. So these two guys walked out with 100 pieces of candy each. And it was supposed to be divided between six or eight people and just most of their team left. There's, there's good to those who can wait. So maybe you're waiting well. Don't, don't give up on your waiting. Uh, and it's frustrating to wait for others, you know? When you've got your stuff together and they don't. Have you ever been in the car waiting for someone else to get out of the house who, who isn't quite ready yet? No. <laughs> Never. 
So if you're waiting well, if you're not overwhelmed, if you found a pace of life that you can be with God and relate to him, uh, please share that with others. Uh, Share your life with them because we all need to grow to God together. It doesn't say that you are temples of the Holy Spirit. It's that we all together are the one building. Our goal is to know him. So please help others discover their way of relating to God. Pastor Bert has this wonderful resource of there are seven different styles of engaging with God, whether it's sacramental or theological or mystical. And there are many, and I'm very bad at remembering them. Um, but the way you relate to, some, to God, statistically speaking, won't be the same way that they will relate to God. And there's, there are more nuances to this than just these seven different styles of worshiping, of praying. But we need to discover it. We need to all do what we were created to do. So I think if we can just distill this down, simplify it into two steps, two strides of our walk with God, two different ways, places we can interact. Uh, if there is an inner and an outer. So inner things we can do. We can worship. Uh, we can read our Bible. Um, some of the classic spiritual disciplines like silence, which sounds more monastic, but it's listening to God. Uh, You can talk to him or pray. You can fast. I don't know how we feel about fasting. Um, Do we do it? Jesus assumed we did. He didn't prescribe how often we should, um, but he said, when you fast, fast like this. Uh, I don't know if you know, that's where the phrase when in Rome comes from. I think it was Athanasius was talking to some guys who were from the Greek church, and they came to Rome, and they're like, we fast on Thursdays. Why do you fast on Tuesdays? And the solution this church father had was, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Fast on their day of fasting. I don't know what it would be like if we had a day we fast. It would, it would cramp my dessert life. Um, Sunday we feast. Monday night... Uh, it, used to be games night, so there were a lot of chips. And Tuesday night's Bible study, so we have cake. Wednesday night, that's date night. And Thursday night's hanging out with the youth, and we. And Friday's my day off, so I eat. And I don't know about your food life. Uh, do you have space to fast? Do you have space for Jesus? Fasting. The last inner step we can take, uh, solitude. Do we like being alone? And it's... It's powerful when you compare multiples of these together. Um, If you can fast and be alone and silent and pray and read scripture, you have all these normal ways God loves to speak to his people that you could be encouraged. The second stride we can take in our walk of faith uh, is this outflow. We have the inner life and the outer life, the expression of God's love. God was full of love in his heart, so he acted, he created. Loving people. Interesting, Jesus says that we should entertain strangers. That's, uh, that's kind of horrifying. I don't, I don't relish the opportunity to write a stranger, invite a stranger off the street into my house. What if they come back? How, how do you feel? Uh, but we should, we should love people. Uh, the, the stranger that we don't know, and those close to us. And that feels in a different way also very difficult to love that person who hasn't changed in 20 years. And they're still like that. And we're still supposed to be loving and patient and wait with them. 
I find it interesting if you've read that passage in Scripture about the weaker brother who stumbles on this and uh, abstaining from something. Paul never says who's the weak one and who's the strong one. Uh, that if, if your ego needs to identify as the strong one in the situation, that's great. You should wait and be patient and make allowances for the weaker one. And if you're the weak one, you should try to be like the strong one in the relationship. Either way, it's about being gracious to the other. Loving people. Entertaining them. Encouraging them. Helping them. It's interesting that these are potentially spiritual practices. Um, I'm preaching here this morning uh, in second service as well, so I won't be teaching my Sunday school class. So I... Uh, I primed Wyatt DiStefano to teach for me on my behalf in my stead, and he's been there uh, twice this fall for my class, and I was saying, well, I guess that's enough. Now you can teach it. Um, and just kind of threw him in, but the, 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 the full sense of what we're trying to accomplish is that we would hear them and love them. And that was the, the goal of the class, is that you would hear them and love them, encourage them, in their walk with Jesus, that they are known, that they are accepted, and that they learn to relate to him. Jesus was very clear that we can do lots for him. Um, you, can, you can preach, you can cast out demons, but if you don't know him, he says, I, I don't know you, you can't come into heaven. And then he contrasts it, surprisingly, uh, saying that, welcome you who are accepted by my Father, and that because you, you looked after me when I was sick, you visited me when I was in prison, you fed me when I was hungry, you clothed me. And they said, Lord, when did we do any of those things to you? And he said, when you did it to the least among you, you did it to me. Fascinating that Jesus has paired our relationship with him and how we interact with others it depends on our heart's involvement. So pray continually. Always relate. There's, there's nothing worth breaking relationship. There's no distraction that merits forgetting God. Um, his presence is life, and his plan is always good, and it's always in good time. So don't end the call. Don't ignore the letter his note or his DM. This week, today, right now, uh, we need to find a fresh way to connect to God. It doesn't need to be a new way, uh, but it, it does need to be fresh. Um, interesting, our, our little baby has developed a personality of the food she likes to eat. Um, and some days, she loves eggs and just loves them. So we cook her up an egg and let it cool down, and she starts eating it. And she also loves feeding the dog, that she'll just take some food off the plate and drop it on the floor, and take some food and drop it on the floor. And I was sharing some of my lunch with her yesterday, and she would cry out for food, and I would give her some, and she'd give it to the dog. Like, she didn't even fake me out putting it closer to her mouth. Um, and Kim is a little bit more determined that she eats her food, you know? Like, if you don't like that today, that's fine. And the, the famous one is peanut butter toast. We'll make some toast and cut it up, 
put the peanut butter on it and give it to her, and she often loves it. But if she doesn't, Kim loves to just, well, you didn't like it for breakfast, maybe you'll like it for lunch. You didn't like it for lunch? Well, try it for supper. And it's the same slice of bread, and it just sits on the counter waiting there for her, and eventually the dog eats all of it. Um, and it's, I've noticed that Scotia wants to eat something new every now and then. Maybe you need a fresh way to connect with God every now and then. But I have found that Scotia eats better when it's fresh, when the toast is still warm. Um, even if it's the third time in a row she's eaten peanut butter, it doesn't need to be brand new in how we interact with God. But it needs to be fresh. It has to. So what are we going to do? I'll just share some of the things that have been working with me. Um, in the spring, I was using John Eldridge's Pause app, the one-minute pause. It's on all the things. It's really good. Um, I very much enjoyed it, and I kind of got out of the habit of finding it life-giving. And this summer, I started praying more the Lord's Prayer and stopped praying the, the one-minute pause app, and I'm praying the Lord's Prayer. And then when I went on vacation, I've shared previously, I was praying the Serenity Prayer a lot, and that's been really good. Um, it was, it was very cute. One of the guys in Sunday school, two weeks ago, we were talking about prayer and, well, what do we pray? And they said, I don't know. I'll give you this serenity prayer. And I printed it out for them. And one of the guys said, I, I'm not going to remember to do that. <laughs> okay. So we, we made up these, uh, these little prayer bracelets just out of some dollar store rope that every time I look at it, every time I feel it, every time Scotia rips it off my wrist, I'm reminded to pray. So whatever you do, it doesn't have to be fancy or expensive, new or old. We need to find a way to pray. When do you do it? When do we relate to God? Um, I've got some lessons from uh, my Bible study that we're going through. We, we often talk about our prayer life and what God's saying to us. Uh, one of the takeaways somebody shared is to invite God more often into more moments. Like that's, that's really simple. I'm going to use that, uh, that we just try to invite God more. And sometimes I feel bad, like I, I look back on the end of the day and notice all the ways I didn't remember God. And I don't feel him affirm that feeling in me. I feel him being pleased that I remembered him some and that I'm growing. We're already accepted. Another interesting takeaway from my small group, we discovered we pray differently at different times. Uh, first thing in the morning, we, we tend to feel like it's a fresh, clean slate. It's a fresh start, it's peaceful, and it sets the tone for the day. Uh, we notice when we forget to pray in the morning, we, we feel anxious, and the day just seems to be more agitated. Um, it's a directional time. But the evening seems to do something else when we pray before bed. Um, that it's often reflective and corrective, uh, a closing of the day. So those are two times we discovered. Uh, as a father of a newborn, I have so many more times I can pray. At 3 a.m. when Scotia's hungry, uh, she doesn't talk. So she cries, I give her the bottle, and then I sit there for 20 minutes in the dark. There's not much to do, there's nothing to read, nothing to listen to. So... I found it's a great time to pray, or while she's napping, or when I can't sleep, when I wake up. Um, 
I, I prayed a prayer in college. I, it might not be wise. I'll caution you. I invited God to wake me up whenever he needed someone to pray for something. God, wake me up and I will pray. And sometimes I forget that I told him that and I just wake up and why can't I sleep? And it's 20 minutes and I probably could have just prayed for a minute and gone back to sleep. I pray when Scotia's upset and Kim is soothing her because, you know, it's really hard for both of us to bounce the baby simultaneously. So I've taken it to be my role. If Kim's holding her and she's crying, I'm praying. That's my, my job. I pray when I'm reminded about my bracelet. I pray when I'm laying in bed. What are some times you could pray? Uh, a space you could carve out for God. Uh, our Sunday school lesson that the youth are doing this fall, we're studying Jesus' teaching. We just did the Beatitudes. And uh, we were talking about what is this word blessed at the start of all of the, uh, the Beatitudes. So we looked it up. Um, one of the definitions is divine favor, which sounds fancy. Um, but God is the divine, so he favors us. We're his favorite. And that was a, a revolutionary idea to me. And it, it colored how I hear God speak. That that's his tone when, when I hear from him. It's not the, uh, have you ever had the dreaded phone ring? You know a problem is calling. And there's that anxious feeling that rears up of, oh, I, I don't want to deal with this. That is not God's tone when he's calling us, when he wants to speak. You're his favorite. I don't know if you've noticed, but a bunch of how God has been teaching me uh, of how to relate to him has been while I'm talking with people. Uh, in my small group, on Bible study on Tuesday night, in the Sunday school class, in our Wesleyan pastors meetings, it seems to be in our discussion with one another when we share what God is saying to me, how he's saying it to me, what I'm saying to him. It, it seems to be that we can kind of sync up and grow together. God has a life for us, and it's waiting in community, that we are one temple. So talk to somebody about this. You won't be able to figure it all out on your own. Start a meeting sometimes. Breakfast? I don't know. Maybe we should have fasting meetings where we come and don't eat. But maybe you should go for breakfast with somebody. Talk to them about what you're reading and how you're relating to God. And I encourage you to just ask this one simple question if you want to dive deep with somebody. Um, how is your relationship with Jesus today or this week? Not how did you get saved. That, that's a great question to ask. But how are you guys doing now? You're his favorite. So ask him. Ask him how he feels. He's not too shy to tell us. And talking together with him, about him, helps us grow. We've got to discover how to relate to God more and more on the daily. Not just about him, but with him. So I think that's enough talking about it. Uh, Chris has a video for us, and we're going to worship, and we're going to pray. So let's continue. Mm -hmm.